Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Kai, and I'm joined with my co-hosts, Jake and Vex. Today, we are joined with a special guest, Alex from Valhalla Ironworks. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we get into the interview, let's talk about what we're carrying in our pockets today. Uh, Vex, what do you have? You know me. I'm a man of class. Um, just a Thorburn L36. I got a Blade Show last year. Beautiful <laughs> knife. You know, I probably will never use it, like most people. <laughs> I was going to say, do you ever use any of your knives for anything? Well, I did. Sh- I cut some shrink wrap today, so Ooh. yes, I did. Hard That's use, so use open. your shit. What's that? I said hard use, use your shit. Anyways, shut up. Kai, what do you carry? I have no idea what I'm doing today, so I have a Spyderco Dragonfly in my back pocket. It's specifically in super blue. So. In your back pocket? Yeah, it's a What's boomer carry. With you? <laughs> boomer carry. It's tiny. It's fucking tiny. What do you mean? I don't even carry my wallet. I never understood that. I can't sit on stuff like that. How fat's your ass? God damn. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty thick. Oh, With two C's. Yeah, two yeah C's, exactly. Yeah. That's why everything gets gets like stuck in the black hole underneath there. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Edit that out. <laughs> All right, Jake, what you got? I'm not editing anything out. Um, today, I'm carrying the Arius. It was nearby. And I, 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 I'm I, getting to the point now, man. I barely leave the house. I just swap out what's on my desk. Oh, Doesn't matter. nice. And what about you, That's Alex? What, what, do you, what do you have with you today or, or near you today? <laughs> Becca what BK9. No, I, uh, my um, <laughs> daily carry is uh, Essie Zancudo. Oh, oh Nice. I, I live in the country on a farm, and I, I'm not one of these people whose EDC is sort of constantly kept pristine. I, I my knives work damn hard, and it's a the Zancudo is an ugly ass knife. Let's face it. There's no no two oh, ways yeah. about it. It's ugly, but it is. I have gone through a lot of EDCs in my years of being a knife enthusiast, and the SE Zancudo is the only one that has actually withstood the rigors of farm life. Cool. Essie makes incredible knives. I loved the Azula when I had it. Yeah. I, I think the Zancudo was actually not made by Essie. It's Essie brand, but they're made by someone else. Um, I can never remember the other company's name. Um, Bussy? Like, Vex, uh, shut uh, <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember. But Bussy. Yeah, I've got two Essie Zancudos. I've got the olive and I've got the black, but the olive is my, my go-to. I keep the black in case something happens to the olive, but it's been probably twelve years and still nothing's happened to it. Wow. So so what are some what are some of the, the other knives that didn't make the cut? Like um that kind of fail uh on the rigors of farm life. what are some of the others? Uh if it's got the brand Gerber on it, it's broken. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yep, 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 yep. Rest yeah. uh, cold cold Amen. steel, they all broke. Really? Whoa. Oh. That's the only problem. one that has actually um, stood the test of time from Cold Steel, in in my opinion, uh, I have one of their original run of Raja Two. Oh, nice! That's a big boy. And that's a big boy. But I'm I'm six foot six. I'm a big guy. Whoa. So it's a, oh my it's god! A, yeah, it's a comfy knife to carry for me, but um, it's kind of ridiculous. You pull that thing out, it sounds like you're racking a shotgun. <laughs> so. Um, but that 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 triad lock that they've got on it is um, it's tough. It's it's a good blade, um, and yeah, that that would stand up if it wasn't so goddamn impractical to carry. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like carrying a pocket machete. <laughs> it really is. It's, I mean, it's a folding kukri. I mean, say no more. Yep. 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 It's uh, pretty wild. It's funny how you say, it. like, before the podcast started, you were talking about, like, uh, Australian knife laws. And that's, like, probably the most anti Australian knife law knife you could have. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, all right. Should we move on to the interview? Uh, we did not write a script for this, so I, I just have some prompts, I guess. Uh, we'll just let Alex uh, introduce himself. So, uh, Alex, tell us a bit about yourself, um, your brand, like how you got into knives, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm an independent knife maker, full-time, have been for many years now, um, making knives uh, on the little island of Tasmania, um, mm. south of mainland Australia, in the cold. Um doing it largely for the the passion of it i i used to work sort of very corporate roles and uh, just had a gutful one day and and left and uh, decided to work for myself and i I make all sorts of things you know all entirely self-taught never did any classes and um just following the passion of it and um everybody has been sort of following my journey with me as i go and a lot of people uh, through social media following me for years now and they've seen the, the work that I was doing two years ago you wouldn't even recognize as mine because um, every I, I try and push myself people who are familiar with my work they'll see that I do some pretty wild projects compared to your average knife maker yeah for sure um, and that's always me trying to push myself I'll, I'll take on a task that I think I can't do deliberately so that um by the time I've done it, I've learned a heap of stuff and evolved even more. Um, so it's made my rise happen pretty pretty fast. Uh, mm. Just constantly tackling fear. And um, for four years, up until only a couple of months ago, I was the co-host of the Forgecast podcast, if I'm allowed to mention the competition. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, no, competition um, implies we're on the same level. They're probably much better than us, but I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> we're nothing. <laughs> Well, they are now. I've left, um, but yeah, <laughs> they um, that that was really good. Being able to really involve myself with the community and and it was education focused uh, on the actual whys and wherefores of blacksmithing and bladesmithing. Because uh, I got my start as a blacksmith, not as a bladesmith. I was one of those guys that did a lot of forging and said, "Nah, I'm not really. I'm not going to do knives." Uh, <laughs> and then tried one and got addicted, and the rest is history. Yes, that's pretty cool. Um, like, I, I think that's one of the things like you mentioned. Um, like, a lot of makers don't push themselves out of the comfort zone, so yeah. it's pretty interesting to see you like constantly do crazy shit. Like, if you guys haven't seen uh, Alex's Instagram, take a look at Valhalla Ironworks. Like, oh, as soon as you go on the page, of... it's it's insane. Like instantly, yeah. I did. Um, my most um, one of my most recent wacky builds was a um, sub hilt buoy uh, yeah. that you that you slid out the the pommel and there was a hidden backlock knife inside. Yep, yep. Uh, and before that, I did a trident main gouge, which was the first custom made trident main gouge since the 1700s. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I don't know. When I saw when I saw that sub hilt buoy, I, I straight up thought it was like. Oh, what's the gimmick here? Like, it's, it's is it gonna shoot a, a round out of the, <laughs> out of the sub hill? Um, it, it was pretty fucking insane, but yeah, it's, it's super cool. Um, I've made a folding eight inch sub hill buoy in the past as well. Oh my god! 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's a lot of like wacky shit. I I think um, it's gimmicky in a good way. Uh, yeah. Like which a lot of people, I don't know. Like usually gimmicks when people focus too much on gimmicks, it kind of ends up falling flat. But um, yeah, mo- cool most of what I make is is just sort of practical normal mm. knives um but mm. every so often i just i just really need to stretch my legs yeah. yeah i think that's healthy like doing something that um that like pushes you out of your comfort zone and then like you know going back to something you know uh, something you enjoy i guess yeah, um, yeah so how'd you get into knives i actually um i am on Australian. a like <laughs> Some some people want to yeah I've got to always defend myself against all the spiders and crocs, um, <laughs> but uh, no some people sort of have these sort of plans of where they want to be when they when they grow up when they're older and that mine is a, a journey of reduction I I I'm, I want to one day be that guy that provides everything for himself grows all his own food builds everything himself etc and um, I've always been obsessed with sort of self reliance and the outdoors and stuff like that so part of that journey was learning to make my own tools yeah and um that that inevitably led to me learning blacksmithing which led to me learning knives and i I got obsessed with knives because of the um have you ever heard of xeno's paradox no um which one well, ah, good. Eh, somebody knows these paradoxes. So yeah. Zeno had multiple paradoxes, but the um, main one that when people say Zeno's paradox, they're referring to is um, the one that if you're trying to get from point A to point B, you first have to be able to get halfway, yeah. and then before you reach the halfway point, you have to get halfway to the halfway point, and so on and so forth. And because of that, you can never yeah. reach the end. Yeah. Um, certain crafts are affected by Zeno's paradox by way of which no matter how good you get at it, even if you were to double in skill every day, you'd still go to your deathbed with more to learn and yeah. ways to get better. Not everything's like that. There's only there's only certain things that are like that, like uh, chair making. If you've ever tried making a, an actual chair uh, that you then rely on and sit on, you realize that you can always make a better chair. Uh, oddly enough, wind chimes is one of those. <laughs> and there are people that dedicate themselves to making those. There are people in Japan, uh, old families that use proper tamahagane produced for katanas to make wind chimes in the um, the the pursuit of trying to make the perfect wind chime. I did a YouTube video on it. Um, but uh, knives are one of those things. You can always make a better knife, no matter how good of a knife you make. Yeah. And that fascinated me. So I, um, I I sort of started dedicating myself to, to making knives. I don't know if I'll stay doing it or whether or not it'll change, but I've, I've always been passionate about knives being an outdoorsy kind of person. I've always collected them. So now that I make them, it's sort of, uh, it's completed the circle. I'll probably be one of those uh, weird hermity bastards that uh, goes <laughs> to his deathbed still thinking of the next project. That's cool. Like having something that uh, keeps you, I don't know, like, I feel like it's one of those things where you, you keep chasing the end until like it's already the end, like nearing the end and you're just still like, oh, I still have a long way to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because that's I, the I, thing. I Every that, time you think, yeah. oh, this is the goal. This is where I want to get to. You get to that point and you realize that there's still road to the horizon in front of you. Yeah. There's always more, right? Well, what's a, I don't know, what's a, what's a project you've done, I guess, that, that you felt was, I don't know, kind of near the, the end goal. You know, you were, you were like so satisfied. It's like, okay, this can be my last knife and 
uh, I'd be satisfied. Have you ever felt that way? I did actually, um, and I, I sort of I look back on the project fondly because achieving it for me was a real milestone at the time. Uh, I look back on photos of it now and it looks garbage. But um, <laughs> when I when I was on the other side of that knife, it was this sort of thing I wanted to reach. And at the time when I made it and it sold, it was the most money I'd ever made on a knife before. And I was so proud that so many people wanted it and that it sold so quickly. And um, it, uh, the, the knife was called the Mallard because the colors i like to name my knives a lot of the time and um the colors that i picked looked a little bit like the color scheme of a, a, a mallard a, a male duck yeah and um it was a slip joint that was stainless damascus and the Ooh. the action of it the 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 ratio of the blade thickness to the scale thickness like every every bit of it the, the profile the shape was what i considered to be where i wanted to be and i did it and it highly influenced all the work that came after it um and but I, I sort of see it as the the first day that i finally got it like i sort of understood yep. the, the path that i was on uh before that i'd just been playing around that was the first knife that i made where i i'm like okay this is serious i'm i'm fully i'm fully in on this yeah do you ever That's get cool. stuck um because it sounds like you you take a lot of pride in your work obviously do you ever get stuck on a project and have to just push forward just because something isn't perfect and you're unable to make it perfect like you're so set every on single it. project that's about what every, I figured. <laughs> every single one i've i've never put out a knife that i have been a hundred percent happy with and I, I always take longer than i should on a project i could probably just i see other people putting out like a dozen knives a week and i think i couldn't do it I just could not do that because uh, I need to just grind it that little bit more to get that little more perfectly centered. I need to get rid of those J hooks. I need to finish that Ricasso a little bit better. I need to highlight those facets, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's one design that I've, I'm actually happy with the design, but the individual knives that I make of that design, I, I always, I could just sit on them for weeks more. And, and it would, after a while, you sort of realize that even if you did sit on it for weeks more, it's just wasted time because you get to the end of that time and you'd still have more that you'd want to do. Yeah. yeah. This like never ending, <laughs> never ending pursuit of like, uh, of uh, perfection, I guess. Like, um, I think I heard from, from Ekin Knives when I, when I started making stuff, at least uh, one of the things he said was like better makers don't like as, as makers get better over time, they don't necessarily get a lot better. Well, well they do, but like, it's not just getting better. It's just like, it's not about not making mistakes. It's about learning how to cover up your mistakes and not letting the customer know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's kind of like, um, in, a, in a way, it's a bit like cake baking. Yeah. Um, you'll spend the first part of learning to bake cakes, making them look really pretty. But if yeah. it tastes like ass or the te texture's wrong, then that's, um, that's a whole different ball game. And so you'll see all of this progress when somebody's learning to make knives and the knives will look, start looking really, really good. But you don't see the work that they then start doing for the next several years of refining the texture and the flavor. You can't see that. Yeah. Um, like if you were to take, uh, like a, take slip joints, for example. I, I love making slip joints because it's a knife you don't, a type of knife you don't see much anymore with the modern type of knife. It's all liner locks and back locks yeah. now. Um, 
but slip joints there's a real art to getting the walk and talk of those just right and you could see the mallard knife that i was talking about before and then one of the ones that i just did um, last week and you might look at them and go okay cool both nice knives but if you actually had them in your hand and felt the opening and close your action you would be like oh my god these knives are miles apart yeah so yeah all our all our uh, friends who who are into to slip joints those that are into it are really fucking into it man like oh yeah um they could feel and they'll probably the... sit you down like they'll corner you at parties and lecture you for an hour on walk and talk <laughs> yeah it's like oh this one feels mushy uh, it's like, dude, I, I, I can't feel the difference. And then you handle like one with a with a really snappy action. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I can definitely feel the difference. Like one thing that I really like in knives and and try to make a lot of is uh, flipper front flipper liner locks. Yep. Yep, yep. And I mean that's a that's a more obvious example. Like you can get really sort of weak feeling front flippers, and then you can get ones that just they snap open so crisp that it's just a like a fidget spinner it's it's like you could play with it all day um and every type of knife has those you know it's just uh, some of them are more subtle than than others Mm, for sure i think um you know having having that little uh detail of like action is is pretty important as well swords are very much like it uh, actually Mm. because it's one of those things like if have, have any of you guys held a properly made katana before not a knockoff not a not a production one, but like a properly made katana. Uh, no, no. I think the import cost would kill me uh, here. I think so, the regular yeah. cost would kill me. It's it's <laughs> something that you can't see in photos, unfortunately. But if you hold one that's been properly made for you, because a katana, when it's made properly, is made for a particular person. The length, yep. the size, everything is every dimension is for somebody. And if you have one that's made for you and you hold it, it's almost like you're holding nothing. The balance is so perfect that it feels like it's just part of your arm. And there's no way you can communicate that to somebody. You can't see it in photos. You can't show it in video. It's just something you've got to hold. And I think every type of blade has a version of that in some way whether it's the walk and talk of a slip joint or the action of a front flipper or the balance of a sword, that perfection is something that we, all of us as makers, are working to achieve, but we'll probably never reach. Yeah. I'm curious, how, how'd you get your hands on a katana? Like, that was... Uh, I that actually, uh, I was a kendo practitioner for years, and oh, wow. um, I, I attained a, a, a rank high enough where it was um i i it, the school i did did katana and iedo and so we uh we actually as part of it had to get them made when you get to a certain rank you had to to get a swordsmith to make you one and um i still have it i haven't done kendo for many years now but i still have my katana oh that's cool man it was very oh. expensive oh yeah that's, <laughs> that's what i figured yeah. <laughs> it was it was not cheap yeah, I would imagine so, especially one that's well made. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a really cool like story though. Um, how, how would you say? Sorry. Um, what what are some of the qualities that you look for in a knife, and like what what makes a good knife for you? I um, ugh, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and limit my response because this is something that I I I do corner people at parties about. <laughs> <laughs> I have had many rants about this in many um appearances and live streams and youtube videos and everything 
knives and we were talking about before the show i was cornering you about it um knives are tools and I, I really think people forget that and it's the it's the first thing the first quality that i look for in a knife is is it fit for the task that it was it, it is intended for like a a chef knife is different to a straight razor is different to a you know a combat knife it, it, they, they all have a particular purpose and so it's the first thing that I look for because if you're going to make a knife, even if you're going to make a, a pretty knife, would it still function as the tool that it is? Otherwise, it's just a knife-shaped object. And I've, I've had this discussion with people where I'll see somebody has made a knife and I try not to do it anymore because I know it pisses people off, but I'll see somebody that have made a knife and they're like, oh, I put up, you know, this, look at my latest knife. And I'm like, that's a really interesting profile. What type of knife is that? Uh, what's it for and they're like i don't know whatever you want it to be for and i'm like well <laughs> can't just you can't just make something sharp and pointy and call it and you know it's just a miscellaneous knife you know it's got to have a a task behind it otherwise it's yep. it's like calling a, a shopping trolley a car just because it's got four wheels yeah you know, it's <laughs> it's um, one of those things that I, I i need to see that practicality there and it's why you don't often see me make a knife with like a mirror finish, for example, because like a mirror finish, as soon as you use it, it's stuffed. Yeah, it's gone. Mirror finish That's is why gone, I, so. I, I hate those and I hate hand satin. I, I can't yeah, stand it. Yeah. I love a great stone wash finish because yes, you can. Yes, 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 yes. There's, there's, there's badly done stone wash and there's excellently done stone wash. And, and like a good stone wash or a good acid wash finish, if it's a knife that's designed to be used and used properly, um, you can't go past that, if you ask me. It's just brilliant. Um, yeah. And even my EDC, my SE Zancudo, is an acid wash finish. And um, you would, like, you look at the blade, I, I look after it. I don't baby it, I don't nurse it, but I look after it and I, I make sure it's oiled and, and kept sharp, but it still looks pretty much like the day I bought it on the blade because it's an acid wash finish. Like, it getting scuffed up is just adding to the scuffs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I look for practicality in a knife. I, and no matter how pretty it is, I, I want to know that it is fit for task, um, and it's yeah. why I get really antsy with people about certain types of knives, like chef knives, for example. I mean, if you have never worked in a professional kitchen where speed matters uh and comfort matters and you don't want to have rsi at the end of the day uh or you don't want to have to uh really finagle with the thing that you're trying to do because you're using a knife that isn't correct for it like trying to completely bone out a carcass with something like a nakiri is going to be awful it'd be a terrible thing to try and do but people will put them out and say this is a you know an all-purpose kitchen knife and it's not you know nakiri for vegetables it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, we honestly we don't like put out a lot of good content or information on this podcast. But one thing we've <laughs> talked about literally dozens of times is when knives come up. Like if it doesn't function, if it's not actually a knife, if it if it can't cut, if it's too thick to be used useful, or if it's so thin that it breaks constantly, or if the materials are garbage, there's no point in making it. If your blades ran at fifty HRC. And your knife's not going to last more than a month. Don't make it. It doesn't matter how much money it is, how how much of an art knife it is. It, it's irrelevant to me, at least. I, I just don't see the point. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, this may make me come across as a little bit of a hypocrite because I, I hate gatekeepers. I, I I go on a mission to just try and ruin gatekeepers' lives because they annoy the shit out of me. But 
when it comes to practicality of a knife, it's like how often do you see fixed blade knives, like shorter fixed blade knives of like four inch blade being called skinners? Like that's, that's it. It's almost like people just use that term interchangeably. You've probably seen it if you're yes. in yeah, the knife yeah. collecting. Way community. too much. How many of the people who have made those knives or indeed the people buying those knives have ever skinned a carcass? <laughs> More than likely never. Because I have. If they, I, if they I, have I, used, I, like if they've ever skinned anything, they know that most of those knives that are marketed as skinners aren't even close. They're not... Th- uh, exactly there's like the folding I mean, you, skinner thing no one's no one who's actually skinning like around here we hunt deer a lot no one's going to skin a deer yeah. with a folding knife that's moronic yeah i mean if you if that's all you got you can maybe get the back straps off a deer fine with with a, a good pocket knife if you if you're good at handling it but you're not going to get it's not going to be neat no yeah. it's going to be bad um, and if you've got any sort of aggressive tip anything that's um more acute than about 40 degrees every cut you do trying to take the skin off a deer you're going to be blowing holes through that hide all over the place that's why you see butchering knives that have that really sort of obtuse tip that's like 45 50 degrees and it's because it doesn't have that puncturing power unless you do uh small sweeping cuts which is is what you want to do when you're trying to be careful and and skin off a you know a carcass but most people don't people making knives it's people making chef knives that don't cook people making skinning knives that don't skin animals is it's kind of the same thing yeah i I, what do you sorry jake go ahead i was just gonna say i kind of agree with you like i think you're right like it you don't want to gatekeep who can make these types of knives but if you're going to at least try out the activity with your design don't yeah i'd never say to these people stop making those knives because I, i think everybody should you know yeah but they could at least go out there and and do something like if you're going to make a knife for cutting watermelons go cut some fucking watermelons with it or something you know yeah yeah i I actually have um said it to a couple of the students that i've had in the past of to to go to you know go to a dollar store and buy those really cheap nasty like one or two dollar kitchen knives but buy a few different types sharpen them up properly they won't hold that edge but sharpen them up properly and then do some proper cooking and then work out with like work work with like a, a big roast, like a leg roast or something, and process yeah. that up in, enough to make it into a stew. And chop up all the vegetables to make the stew. And then by the end of it, you can throw away the knives because you only spent five bucks. Um, but you will have a much deeper understanding. It's like you would have started carving up the roast with a paring knife, and then realized this isn't going anywhere. And you know all that. So you start getting an understanding of what they're used for. And then all of a sudden, you say, "All right, go and design a." Uh, an all-purpose chef knife that can do all of it and they start thinking about it yeah i think um one of the things that's like important is uh always having like a certain a certain style um like in mind at least when you start um when you start making you have like you have to have some kind of direction otherwise you just honestly like what's the difference between making a, a knife with no direction and like making a prison ship or something i don't know yeah yeah like, yeah exactly there's, there's no there's no real there's no real difference um what do you think about the the cold steel bushcraft knives uh the folding bushcraft knives that they like stab through i don't know like a pit carcass or something the the, the folding <laughs> ones are a little bit bit wacky i've heard though um uh, i'm mates with uh you may have seen he's pretty prolific on social media calculated survival yeah i think I've seen heard him. um he has been 
copping some because cold steel don't have the greatest reputation um for people that sort of get serious about knife collecting um they it's because their stuff is hit and miss like they either really hit or they really miss and um one of theirs is i think it's called the sk7 it's not a folding one it's fixed blade one um yeah it's a really solid bushcraft knife like it's 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 pretty damn good like it's got good edge retention great tip retention and calculated survival was actually trying to point this out to people and copping all this hate for it and people thought oh, that he no. was like sponsored by him and and faking it and all that sort of thing he's like no no look I'll, I'll do this all in one take and he's like smashing into this dry old log and jamming oh, the tip in and then just batoning it over and trying to snap the tip off and then he brings it up all in one take brings it right up to the camera and shows that this thing is still perfect and um it's it's a it's a good little knife you know it's probably about a six inch blade on it um hidden tang construction but it's a thick tang um with one of those uh molded rubber handles on it uh, a little bit like um cold steel's answer to the morikaniv sort of thing oh nice uh, yeah. yeah and it, it's a, it's a good knife but then you get other things like i i spent back in the day this is going back like 15 years um i spent 800 bucks on their um sanmai kukri yeah and that thing developed cracks i, I took it out in the out bush because uh, when i bushwalk i go off track i go like jump the fences and go way off into the middle of nowhere and i took that thing with me and after one trip out it started developing cracks oh god like full-on straight through the blade cracks and i spent 800 bucks on that damn thing um, but then you get other ones that are quite reasonably priced, like oh. um, the Becker BK7 ended up being my go-to bush knife. That thing is a tank of a knife, an absolute tank. I just cannot kill that thing. So you mentioned the uh, the cold steel kukri, and I looked it up. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the same one. It does say it's San Mai, and uh, the American like USD price listed was 443. But I'm guessing it's mm-hmm. been discontinued. It's down to 85 US dollars. Oh wow! Well. <laughs> oh jeez! No. Oh, that's depressing. <laughs> Round down and buy ten of them. It's literally no. I'm not buying fucking any of them now. What's, no, what's the point? No, don't don't waste your money. This is yeah, what I, I don't understand about cold steel. They will make some. I have some cold steel knives that are that are very good. I don't use them as hard as you do. Um, but I haven't had any issues with with most of the ones I've had. But then they'll put out the stupidest shit like a battle club or mm. a boar hunting boar spear. spear yeah i boar actually spear. i i just to uh, this is embarrassing but i do have that boar hunting spear you are Let's amazing how, how how is it because that's like the best thing they make in my opinion it's stupid as fuck but it, it, it's amazing <laughs> well you'd think it's stupid but here in australia i used to live further up north um and i would go wild pig hunting oh and Australian outback pig can grow to the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. See, we don't and really if have one of those here. things decides to charge you. You really want something like the cold steel boar spear. Um, yeah. Are are guns legal where you're at? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got heaps of guns in Australia. Okay. We just so, have gun control. So it's an option. I man, I'm so envious. Um, have you considered buying the cold steel boomerang, or are you just? off that one <laughs> Odd, oddly enough um, it's a it's a bit of a misnomer that people people think that boomerangs are a hunting tool um most 
uh, there, there's a um, Aboriginal tribes here. There's there's a lot. There's like seventy five different ones for different regions, and they all have very different cultures. Most of them use the boomerang as a ceremonial tool. There's only yeah. one or two that actually ever used it for hunting, and it was even then it was only for like they would um, scare out a, a flock of birds and then throw yeah. the boomerang through the flock so that it would knock one of them down. I was um, going to say. Uh, apart from birds which you mentioned like having hollow bones i don't see anybody actually hunting something big with it all you'd really God, do is no. piss something off i mean yeah yeah um but i i um while guns are prolific here i actually would bow hunt pig oh nice yeah which is why you really want the spear um but i got the spear um after i, I like i i hadn't gone out for a while um, but i was planning to go out for another trip i got the spear for my birthday my wife got it for me for my birthday and i haven't been out since uh, and then i moved down to tasmania where there are no no wild pig where were so you from i haven't before? had a chance to actually use it i was from a town called brisbane ah from brisbane i see yeah yep uh, makes a lot of sense <laughs> the feral pig here uh cause huge ecological damage they uh, oh, uh, yeah. one one family a pig can move into a paddock and destroy like 60 acres of crop in a night yeah so, i can yeah, understand why out, you would hunt them they, yeah yeah basically <laughs> the the farmers would put out ads and say anybody that wants to that can just you know come get permission to come on my land just camp out and get rid of this pig problem for me and you know, you'd pick up those uh, notices and head out there, and you get to keep what you what you hunt. Although most of them have worms. Yeah, that's how it is in Texas. They're open range, and there's pe- there's like tours you could do, like from a helicopter with like a fucking. Oh, geez. Fully automatic. That's the most American weapon. thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's like pure America in Texas, and yeah, pigs are those wild hogs. They are destructive. You guys just Hobbit reminded me. Um, we don't really have too many pigs around here, but we do have coyotes. Have any of you ever heard of an anti-coyote collar? Oh, what? <laughs> you, you put them on cows, and they usually have spikes or something oh, yeah, akin yeah. to that, and when a dogs. coyote bites them, it will pierce through their mouth Yeah, and keep the neck safe for the cow. Yeah, where I live, too, the coyotes are open range, and they're damn near They're fucking awful. Because it's like literally target practice here for most gun people. They just go out in the boonies and fucking just shoot coyotes all yeah, day. Yeah, but how many of them can chase them down with a spear, though? <laughs> Dude, a coyote's fast. I don't know. Pigs are pretty quick, too, though. I'll tell you what, to, to go back to your original question, though, the, the cold steel yeah. boar spear is beautifully balanced. It's got a great edge on it, and um, it it's heavy. Like, you, you kind of want it to be heavy, because, yeah. you know, if, if, if you're using that thing, you don't want that shaft snapping, but it's like a proper mahogany shaft on it that's like two inches thick. And Jesus. you want to have big hands if you're using this thing. It stands about oh, two, just over two meters tall. Yeah, it says here it's like 82 inches, which uh, that's massive. Alrighty. All right. Um, all right. So uh, moving on, I guess we can ask... Uh, are there any makers you'd like to shout out? Um, any Ooh. companies, any brands? Some makers that you look up to and they might push you and you look at you their like work to, and you're just like, you wow, like to... that's awesome. Or A lot. Like a, a lot, a lot. Yeah, just do a quick, quick fire and... round and then you can go into detail and whoever you want. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's, it's hard to shout out a couple because I know I'd be like leaving others behind. But 
if I had to narrow it down to a couple in terms of makers for the like my folding knife I love making folding knives it's my main passion yeah um, the person who constantly every time he posts anything pushes me to want to make better folding knives is a French maker called Guillaume Ducasse yeah he's You've amazing heard of him yeah he's done oh, crazy stuff he sounds out of my price range yeah, so cool. I figured Vex would have heard about him <laughs> so every time I think I'm you know I start thinking that I'm getting pretty good I look at his work and it's like no no, we've got a long way to go, Alex. Um, so he's, he's one of the, the big influences for me. But when it comes to the sort of the bolder projects that I do, um, trying to, you know, step step up to the next level, yep. it has to be somebody who actually I was a fan of before I even made knives, um, back when I was just a collector, and that's Niels Vandenberg from South Africa. Oh, yeah. Um, his work has constantly inspired me since the get-go um and he just every time i think that he has sort of reached a peak he goes and shows me that there's a taller peak behind that one yeah um and so it's it's cool to see his work it's very inspiring every time uh, i i see it um but closer to home I, i'm constantly pushed um whether he realizes or not by my best mate Broden, he's, um, he started out as a student of mine. He wanted to learn knife making, so he came and did a course with me, and then I just couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> he's always, hang- always hanging around my place. Um, but he is... Like, I, I, I get a lot of, as we've talked about before, a lot of sort of anxiety in my work and constantly looking, and, and all I see is just a pile of faults in each project and everything which is i think a pretty classic thing for anybody that makes yeah. um and so because of that there's a lot of sort of fear that i have to overcome every time i want to try something new or, or push myself oh yeah for sure and i i pride myself on my ability to overcome it but broden just has none <laughs> he's just like let's try this crazy thing let's make mosaic damascus and <laughs> you know why don't you make the knife do this and all that sort of thing and he's just got so much energy he's quite a bit younger than me he's like 10 years younger than me so he's got more energy yep. he hasn't reached his 30s yet doesn't know that pain the pain <laughs> of growing up. but oh god but just seeing that blind fearlessness with projects is cool and he's just happy to just try things even on projects that are like two-thirds done and i'm like if you try that and it fucks up you're going to ruin this whole piece and he's like yolo and just does it anyway (laughs) and that's kind of cool that inspires me a lot um even though i don't always act on it i probably don't tell him as much as i should but yeah he's his fearlessness drive drives a lot of mine oh that's that's um as it comes to brands that inspire me, there's two I can really think of. Um, first one, we were talking about him before the show, Coy Baker. Yeah, from He's Baker another Boy person that just keeps pushing the envelope. But he has... The, the thing that I like the most about Coy, it's not even to do with what he makes. And if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with Baker Forge Tool, he makes specialty steels for knife makers, yep. patent welded steels. Yeah. And the thing I like the most about him is... Are you guys aware of the the great Kumai controversy yep. from about two years ago? Yeah, uh, I probably wasn't wasn't like picking up on it at the time, but yeah, there were only like six people in the world making copper, uh, weaving copper into steel. Um, the old Japanese knife making families have been doing it for five hundred years, but they were very secretive about how they did it. Yeah, 
And a couple of years ago, there were only probably six people in the Western world making copper Damascus, and um, they would not tell anybody how it was done. And uh, I took an interest to it and and wanted to try doing it. So I started asking around. I just found out nobody would give out the secret. So I just figured it out for myself and then did a YouTube video telling everybody how to do it. And at the time, there was no YouTube content about QMI at all. Nothing. Now, try looking it up on YouTube. There's tens of thousands of videos about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, And then shortly after I'd done it, I met Koi, who coincidentally, on the other side of the planet, was on the same mission as me. Um, And we kind of... He started selling the pattern-welded billets and starting up Baker Forge and Tool about the same time that I put out the video. And we found out we just worked this out independently of each other (laughs) on opposite sides of the planet. And we became mates. Nice. And... um, he has gone from that humble beginning, and he was a knife maker himself, to the giant in the knife making industry that he is today. In the space of just a couple of years, he has just blown it up. He's got staff now. He's got teams of people working for him. He's got the most amazing workshop you've ever seen. It's like a dream workshop with power hammers and presses and rollers and like high-end forges and kilns and everything. Um and none of that growth, none of that um, explosion in popularity, none of the eyes on him, none of the fame has changed him one bit. He's a lovely and guy, yeah. He's just, he's so lovely. He's just, he's, he's a gem of a human being. He's never lost his humor. He's never gotten bitter about anything. He's never, like, it just, it's all water off a duck's back. He just, he just keeps on rolling. He's never never too busy to talk to you and that's inspiring because a lot of i'm unfortunately i've seen a lot of people get popular get you know really busy and they just don't have time for you anymore yeah yeah um whereas koi has stayed exactly the same um despite becoming a real centerpiece of the industry um and Another one is a bit closer to home. You guys may not have heard about him before. There's a uh, knife-making supply company here in Australia called Nordic Edge. Fuck yeah, Nordic Edge, yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, run, run by a guy called Bjorn Jacobson. And he uh, is another guy that... He started Nordic Edge as a hobby. And um, he wasn't particularly concerned about it making money. So all of his prices and things, the markups and that, were just sort of covering costs and keeping the ball rolling. And so people were here in Australia were able to get things at really good prices, whereas normally they would have to like import those things or get them through places that had big markups and everything. Yeah. And him doing that also made it become one of the biggest knife-making supply companies here in Australia. And Bjorn, the same thing, hasn't changed. He still does the, runs it exactly the same way. He, spon- he tries to get in and sponsor like every, you know, backyard competition and everything that's going on here. He's really generous with you know helping people grow if he sees people that are struggling he'll step in if he sees people that he thinks have promise you know new young makers coming into the scene he'll step in and maybe just send them care packages just because it'll help inspire them and he's just same thing just lovely guy that the community means more to him than his own growth yeah and it's people like that that put themselves out there and and really 
you know, understand that the community is more than a collection of people. It's its own living, breathing thing. Um, those people really, really inspire me, especially when they're big companies doing it. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of these, like, smaller makers as well. Uh, smaller companies, um, you know, starting mm. from the ground up. I think that's really neat. Um, especially because we don't really have that much, uh, especially where I am, like Singapore. Um, the community isn't that large, so whatever community we have, like, kind of, like, everyone kind of knows each other. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's it's pretty similar, like, down in Australia as well. Like, um, the few people you find who, who are into making stuff, like, they probably know each other to some degree. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up. Um, alrighty. Uh, anyone else in particular that you like to shout out? Uh, the list is is phenomenally <laughs> long. <laughs> uh, I overall the Australian knife making community as a whole is is really wonderful. Um, yeah. And despite my uh, my own foibles and and incessant need to rock the boat in the community, <laughs> um, you know they're still very welcoming um, bunch. So it's. Um, there, there's a lot of a lot of good eggs yeah and um if i was to start listing more i would inevitably um forget names or leave people out accidentally that would probably upset them so <laughs> i'll just say they're all a bunch of mad lads Love them. <laughs> yeah that's great kind of riding off the back of the the local makers are there any do you are there any issues with any knife laws in australia that you have or tasmania uh, well, funny, we have um, federal and state knife laws here, um, and they're more or less the same. There's a couple of small exceptions, but um, knife laws in Australia are bizarrely contradictory. There's a, only a, a few types of knife that are clear-cut said you you cannot have, um, like automatic knives. Right. Uh, you can't have, and you can't have barley songs. They recently updated it to say things like, you can't have any zombie knives. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah. And, yeah, love it. Probably for the best. But it's like, that, like, but it's like <laughs> define that. Like, give me, that rather than actually defining it, they just say, no zombie knives. Yeah. And it's like, okay, <laughs> what, and what's that? <laughs> you know? And I know it's just, it's because there's some old fart in a suit that's probably the only knife he's ever held as a steak knife. Um thinking that that's all the description that's needed but when it comes to actual legal ramifications of something like that how do you how does that hold up in court? yeah when you leave it open and ambiguous like that you could find people that even like if there's a police officer that's pissed off with you i'm sure they could find a way to yeah you know take your stuff and unfortunately that's the way that the law ends up panning out here because they have uh, there's like three pages of description of what can and can't be had with a pocket knife mm. on you yeah and literally the last sentence in that um section of the law is it's that it's legal to carry a pen knife wait so it's legal or illegal like, to carry a pen knife legal oh it is yeah legal to carry a pen knife yeah. but there's no definition of a pen knife a pen knife is just another word for pocket right. knife. yeah so it like you should be able to carry one with that but once again, it comes down to the opinion of the particular officer in question. Like, even though the law does have all of those pages, but then has that one line saying it's perfectly legal to carry a pen knife. Yeah. If I were walking down the street and I had a 
small slip joint with a say a three inch blade in my pocket if officer a stopped me and searched me which they can do here and found that he might decide to arrest me and his testimony would then be used to convict me officer b might find it and say yeah it's probably a bit risky carrying that maybe just don't take it out next time and then nothing more would come of it yeah um and that's kind of how the law works here i I know in america there's very sort of laid out things that people can say well because of this law you can't do this yeah ours are usually australia it's a lot more vague ours usually restricted to like blade length or like you like you mentioned automatic knives some places have that or assisted knives um and similar to what you said, we we don't have federal knife laws, I don't believe. We do have state-based knife laws. My state has no knife laws that I know of at all. Um, but some states, like, uh, or even certain cities, like Chicago, you can't carry anything over three inches. It's just not allowed. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's not great here, but I understand how the ambiguity there could be a huge problem. The thing that frustrates you the most is that the people who wrote it clearly are not familiar with knives. Yeah, as is and so the case. if if the people who wrote it are not familiar with knives, if they're not familiar, why are they being allowed to legislate That's an about excellent them? Question. Because if if it's if it's perfectly fine, let's let's say just for argument's sake that a Victorinox Swiss Army knife is the textbook definition of a pen knife. Yeah. If I were to attack somebody with a Swiss Army knife blade, which is about, what, three inches? Just under three inches? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Is the damage that I could do to a person with a properly sharpened Swiss Army knife blade lesser than the damage that I could do to somebody with, say, my SE Zancudo? Yeah, same, same blade and yet, and all that. Yeah, it, yeah but an SE Zancudo is considered to be illegal to carry because according to the knife laws it can lock open and thus is illegal and yet it would do the same damage as a swiss army knife which is apparently legal to carry i like how a safety feature so makes what it more are, legal <laughs> like why are they legislating like people people are terrified of barley song knives here but <laughs> like if you're flipping a barley song around you're not holding onto it properly and you can have it knocked out of your hand yeah I would say that a barley song is far less dangerous than something that you can get a firm grip on. Around here in America, I'm right near um, Atlanta, Georgia, which is where Blade Show's at. I'm maybe two or three hours away. Um, and they always have a, a ballot song competition. And it's usually just teenagers who really enjoy vaping, you know, flipping their knives uh-huh. around. They're not trying to stab anyone. They, they have the most unintimidating no people idea. ever. Yeah. But the thing is, like, we, we live in a world... I don't know if it's... In Australia, it's very much the case, and I've seen it in almost every state that I've been to. I'm not sure if it's the same in America. If I go into a local grocery store and I go to the kitchenware aisle, they have four packs of steak knives. Right. Uh, yeah. Do, is that in America? Yeah, and they're dirt same. cheap. They're, you know, two or three bucks. Yeah. Terrible quality and everything. They're still they're weapons, sharp, yeah. You know, out, out of the packet. I could just walk into a grocery store, buy a set of steak knives, and then just start stabbing people. And if you look at the crime statistics, the actual, if you look up stabbing crime statistics, more often than not, they are performed with steak knives and kitchen knives. Yeah, because everyone has one. You know, they're they're in every kitchen. 
Yeah. That and- so how is it any different? Like if I were to go into that grocery store and buy a set of steak knives, put it in my shopping bag and then continue about the city doing more shopping, I'm technically carrying fixed blade knives. But if I had um, like a, you know, a Schrade fixed blade knife on my belt, I'd be arrested. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they they blur the line so much that, like you said, they leave it open ended on purpose so they could freaking exactly convict people willy nilly. Really, it's either been done on purpose or they just don't. It's a care because it's so it's so distant from the life they live. I mean, the people yeah. that are actually both writing and arbitrating these laws are people that you know that drive Audis and and have their food prepared for them and go to parties and yeah. you know, dinner parties and They've things. They've never They're had to events, cut it's, anything. It's a very different world to the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. The same type of people that go on a little trip to go see Titanic. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah they get lost. <laughs> but it goes back to that same thing. I mean, how do you reckon Elon Musk has ever scun a deer? Oh, no. Probably not. I mean, he's from South Africa. I don't like, know. Maybe not. life was really hard in his parents' emerald mine. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but the people people at the top don't understand like how many of them actually cook it's like you see gordon ramsay for example um I, you know you can't even argue that he's a brilliant cook he's, he's he's clearly a brilliant cook but he doesn't understand knives he'll use a glass chopping board oh yeah. but the thing is like he's so rigid as he matter like, <laughs> yeah if his knife goes dull do you think he pays to get it sharpened he probably he throws it away sponsor up and says hey sponsor please send me a new set hey of bob kramer send me another knife custom bob one kramer. yeah <laughs> exactly they're just distant from it yeah I, and that distance i think leads to misunderstanding you said that yeah, um you had worked in like corporate world for a while right yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I i did too so I, I got a very similar sense when I was there. Uh, kind of what you're saying, like the people that are making laws have no idea what they're doing. Similar to like the corporate world, your boss usually and your boss's boss has no idea what you do day to day. So when they put these rules in place yeah. that hurt you, they, they don't uh-huh. care. And then they'll have issues with why, you know, why stuff's messing up or why things are broken. So these rich people are just making these laws and then wondering why people are still getting stabbed. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, when when you think about it, like, uh, how many? Huh, let Let's do a really morbid thought experiment. Oh, no. Okay, just let, yeah, yeah. I I know you guys are loving this. If I were to find a crowded mall, and I was to run in there with one of those steak knives, how many people do you think I'd be able to injure before I was tackled? Mm, and maybe and one. Out? In America, you get shot to death. Yeah. Two people in. <laughs> yeah. All right. How many people in that mall do you think I'd be able to injure if I drove my car through it before I was stopped? Probably. How many stop you? You're in the car. A lot. You said you're six yeah. six. I, I think yeah. you could probably injure two or three people because <laughs> yeah, someone exactly. has to be you're pretty big, big to tackle you. But if I got my, you know, my Dodge Bald Eagle <laughs> and you know one of those giant things that need a ladder to climb up into it, and I just yeah. went straight you, through your a Ford F four fifty and just crashing through. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, like people drive people. cars at like a hundred kilometers an hour, and you could just mow down crowds of people. But everyone's like, "You've got a right to have a car. It's fine. You just, you know, you just." Well, fill out the same right thing paperwork, as a, pass the right tests, and you can drive a same car. Same thing as a car, a and that car is, is a, a potential murder machine. Yeah. Or even if you want to, if you want to go to to 
specifically tool tools like a hammer. Hammers are you could you could really hurt someone yeah. with a hammer, but no one would bat an eye. Even a hatchet. Yeah. Yeah. Or me me and Kai yeah. have had this conversation. A rock. <laughs> like <laughs> you've seen what somebody can do with a, a staff. Yes, it's yeah, terrifying. Like beats any knife. Beats any like hand like hand. Knife. Oh yeah. But this is but this is a thing. People will um will park their Ford F one fifty in the 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 parking lot outside of a shopping center amidst thousands of other cars all of which are capable of just the most damage you could possibly imagine and they'll walk into that shopping center but if they see somebody with a barley song oh my god it's a weapon (laughs) oh my god it's a very spring for that matter if like a knife has a spring in it it's just immediately somehow more dangerous (laughs) and the springs are so weak yeah yeah and this is the nonsensical logic that bothers me about knife laws it's it's all just people that don't understand the realities of the world that they're living in and they just get they listen to what they're fed yeah a lot of the laws are just driven by the media though the media obviously scares people by telling them that knives are inherently dangerous and people are getting stabbed to death but it's like well here's the thing knives are inherently dangerous yeah exactly but so are cars. Yeah. So is alcohol. So is cigarettes. Yeah. It, literally, almost everything that we interact with day to day. It's not a, um, you know, a knife sitting on a bench doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. But it can. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's why that debate comes up a lot of how young is too young to get your first knife when you're growing up. And people think, well, what if they cut themselves with it? And it's like, well, that's an important lesson, yeah. isn't it? It's a fast <laughs> yeah. learning way. As long as it doesn't yeah. kill them, I'm sure you're fine. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. So you supervise them, you coach them and everything. But if you were to withhold knives from children and say, no, don't touch that, it becomes this forbidden, forbidden fascination. Yeah. And then when they do go to inevitably touch it and play with it, they may not be supervised because they're doing it secretively and they might hurt themselves very seriously. And this yeah, is why you need to talk to your kids that. about safe sex. <laughs> yeah that's right you learn, learn the respect that goes with the dangerous yeah. thing and all of a sudden the dangerous thing is a lot less dangerous it's yeah. it's the same thing with here obviously like i said we hunt a lot so gun safety a lot of people around here um i, I don't agree with this let me get that out of the way but like their 10 year old like okay my 10 year old wants to go hunting i'm gonna buy them a rifle now i understand to most other parts of the world that's fucking crazy and it is honestly but if they get them into guns that young and they're able to teach them safety, which for most hunters around here is a very big thing, you know, it, it makes it less likely that they're going to shoot their sibling, you know, later on down the road. Yeah, that's what firing ranges are for, where you've got range instructors that are watching everybody like hawks. It's a nice, safe, controlled exactly. way to Exactly, ear protection, eye safety. protection, you know, very strict on where you're shooting. There's guards up. But if you just let your 16-year-old find a gun... And they don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> That's not great. But same yeah. thing with knives. Like you said, if you, the more you try to hide things from people, the more curious about them that they get. Yeah. And it could be. And I think I think bad. Ob- objectivity and critical thinking are are rare, and unfortunately, you know, it's it's. Have you ever heard of the 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 problem of the five monkeys? I don't think so. No. No. <laughs> there's a hypothetical experiment where five monkeys are put into a a room um, all together and the room is completely empty except for the middle there's a set of stairs and at the top of the stairs is a bunch of bananas 
and they watch the scientists are watching these monkeys and the monkeys all sort of wander around and then one of them eventually spots the bananas and he goes over and as soon as he puts one foot on the first step of the staircase they douse the room with ice cold water and all the monkeys freak out and they run off into the corners and they hide and eventually they sort of all get you know calm down and get curious and everything but none of them want to touch the bananas they're just like nah stuff that not not doing it yeah but then the the scientists remove one of those monkeys and put a fresh one in there and the fresh monkey wanders around the room and then sees the bananas and goes straight for the stairs but before he can put his first foot <laughs> on on the staircase the other monkeys beat the crap out of them. <laughs> don't yeah. do that yeah and they know this they know to do it because they were in the room but then the the scientists slowly replaced the monkeys one by one until you know the monkey that got the crap beaten out of them is also joining in and beating up the other monkeys <laughs> Be- not because he understands why but it's because it happened to him yeah but then by the end of it you've got five monkeys in the room that are all terrified to go for the bananas and none of them know why yeah and that's what happens with just generation after generation of people saying, this is bad. This is why. Well, because it's bad. It's yeah. bad because my parents told me it's bad. Circular logic, yeah. 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 As soon as you actually just sit and think and look at something objectively, you can start realizing that if somebody is really determined to kill somebody, they will find a way. Oh, yeah. You can kill somebody with a thermos if you're mad enough. Yeah. yeah. What about the killdozer? The killdozer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we need uh, to ban monster trucks. Men are forced to do unreasonable things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I guess uh, since we're we're going off tangent, anyways. Like, um, one of the things about living in like an Asian household is um, there is no knife safety. Like, if your knife gets dull, just buy a new one. Um, and also, like, mm-hmm. uh, I think one of my friends was telling me his mom or something was was cooking, and like she she was like, "Oh, this knife's dull." And the first thing she did was. She bought a new knife, right? And the first thing she did was, like, take it to, to like, a brick mm. and, and just dealt the shit out of it because she's, she's just not used to having a sharp knife. Like, I, I remember once I sharpened my grandma's what? knife um, and uh, I put, like, a, like, what, like, 600 grit finish on it and she was just like, oh, it's too sharp. Like, if she cuts herself, like, she's going to bleed. I'm like, isn't that a thing that shouldn't be happening? Like... Yeah, perhaps yeah. Maybe, a dull knife is a dangerous yeah, knife more in the kitchen. maybe yeah. it's not the knife's it's problem. time for grandma to learn knife safety yeah exactly <laughs> I, that that's legit though i i being a knife maker a lot of the people in my community come to me to have their knives sharpened and i realized very quickly that i have to actually give when i give the knives back give them a warning and say look you've probably been having this thing slowly get more and more dull over time and you've been adjusting your cooking your cutting methods because it's been getting duller and you're not realizing it. Yeah. So when I give it back to you sharp, you're going to push harder than you need to. And so you need to be very conscious of that when you go through and do it. And the, I'd say this to people and they're like, yeah, yeah, I understand. And then I hear from them the next day and say, yeah, I cut myself. <laughs> well, there's a reason <laughs> well, a lot a of manufacturers lesson? put those stickers on their knives now. Even if they're, even like Microtech will do it, which is an automatic knife company here in America. I don't know if you know. Yeah, we have Mtech knives. Yeah. So... Microtech will, their knives are never that sharp, but they'll always put a sticker on just in case, like, hey, sharp knife, caution, don't. That way they're not liable for when you cut your finger open being a fucking idiot. Yeah. Man. You cut yourself's not a fault, basically. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Knives are meant to cut. More Which, right. if you cut yourself with a knife, that's user error most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, the, the, comments that i get from people who have bought my knives they're like wow it's sharp and i'm like well 
<laughs> yeah, it's supposed yes. to be. Yeah. It's there's only there's two professions in the world that have the sharpest knives, and that's knife makers and butchers. Yeah. It, like everybody else is just playing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's. I, I think that's a, a really good conversation. Like, it's it's good to have a conversation about uh, like especially as a knife maker, I guess having a conversation about about the fact that it's a tool, you know, and uh, and like any tool, like if it's used wrong. It's usually not the tool's fault. Like if you use a hammer, you you bash your thumb in. It doesn't mean the hammer like was a bad hammer. Um, that means you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, you're swinging a claw hammer while there's somebody standing behind you, and you you hit him oh, full force with the the claw. You're gonna kill him. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, they're probably they're probably not gonna be very happy about that. But then again, like. <laughs> Like you're not gonna ban hammers. Like you still need to. You still need to use them. I, I don't right? see it being no. That if we far were just off, a... honestly, what's up? If everything else that was as dangerous as a knife was legislated the way that knives are, hmm. we would have nothing. We would have no cars. We'd have no hammers. We'd have sewing machines. You can injure yourself. All rocks would be yet. taken off of the streets and out of the no yard. More yeah. No more rocks yeah. for anyone. Yeah. Oh, there's bacteria in soil. You've got to have concrete no more But the concrete's too hard, so it's got to be covered with that playground foam. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and and get that's it. carcinogenic, so we can't And the government's not going to pay for it, so you need to pay for it out of pocket. And if you don't, you're going to get fined. Oh, yeah. The world's a dangerous place, you know? People just need to harden up. You just need to stay inside in a padded foam room and not move. Ideally. Life is dangerous. I've never met anybody that's come out of it alive. <laughs> <laughs> not at the end, yeah. at least. Um, all right. I think we can move on to our last couple questions before we, we wrap this up. Um, so what's it like doing knife making full time? It's, it has its challenges. Uh, I think it takes a certain type of person to do such a niche craft Mm. as a full time job. Um, it, it's hard to make a living, um, doing that. It's possible, but it's difficult. Luckily my background was in, um, economics. So I, I know how to wrangle things quite a bit, yeah. and um, it, that that has helped. But it doesn't mean that it, there aren't challenges with it. You, you have to have a great and deep passion for the craft. Oh, and for sure. uh, I would argue that some of the best knife makers out there, not necessarily because they're better than others, but the the work that they put out has a level of conviction behind it that people that get income from other sources. Um, wouldn't have just because they wouldn't be able to. Um, yeah, because this is. I your... mean, there are plenty of knife makers who do it as a side hustle that make phenomenal. Yeah, but knives, they're not feeding themselves with this. It's sort of like it's it's kind of like you know when you when you're growing up and your mum would make cookies and you'd be like, why are those cookies so good? And she's like, oh, I put a teaspoon of love in them. It's a teaspoon it's, of sugar. It's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's there's there's some there's something extra that goes into it when you're so passionate about something that you are willing to do without in other aspects of your life yeah. in order to pursue it yeah, there, and dedicate yourself to it. I would assume there are plenty of easier jobs, you know, but I, I would say... Oh, yeah. I would say, like, um, at what point does the passion make up for, for that difficulty? Um, where would you say that, well, that that passion goes? That's that's what I mean by there has to be a certain type of person. Um, most most people, and it, in, it's my experience that most people are fine with being told what to do and actually they're more comfortable if if other people are taking care of the bigger things and saying oh i just need you to do this and do this and that's why most people are fine to work a job um but 
some people just can't do that they can't be told what to do they have to have to be in control of their own life and their own direction and for those people they are doomed to work for themselves it's the only way they can find peace yeah um and so it's it's a certain type of person that can make it and a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon of saying i'm going full time and they'll make it six months or so before having to give it up oh yeah um because because it is difficult and i I don't begrudge them one bit if they if they don't make it because it it's hard you know but that passion is what keeps that fire going in you because you're (laughs) it, it, it comes down to two wants what do you which one do you want more do you want the freedom to be able to turn that idea in your head into a a physical thing that exists or do you want financial security yeah one of those you're going to want more than the other one which let's be honest financial security is an illusion anyway like you you could be fired tomorrow you have no idea but if you're your own boss you at least know like hey i can keep making stuff yeah and as an economics expert that is a topic that i could happily sit down and have a two-hour podcast episode talking about um but it is it is a real thing that the passion overtakes sense <laughs> it overtakes security it overtakes safety it overtakes opinion it overtakes everything because if you it's almost like you know, have you ever woken up one morning and just had a song stuck in your head and you just cannot get rid of it yeah all time it's it's like that i will get an idea for a knife in my head and it's like a splinter in my brain <laughs> and it has to come out and if i were working for somebody else i'd be useless i'd be a terrible employee because my whole day would be spent thinking about that yeah you need that creative freedom so, to that's what drives you yeah and i i actually have a, a chronic autoimmune disease as well which makes my life uh, a living hell sometimes which um means that when i'm working for myself if i need to take time for a bit of self-care uh, i just can do that i don't have to explain it to somebody i don't need to you know see whether or not i've got enough time off accrued to be able to allocate time for self-care i can just do it yeah yeah you just reminded me at my at my last job there was a guy who was diagnosed with cancer and our bosses were going around and asking if anyone would donate time off to him so that he could go and do his chemo and i was like this world is fucked (laughs) (laughs) just donate time oh god (laughs) i was just like this is fucking horrible never 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 dedicate your life to something that where where they no they don't care about you put a uh an ad out in a paper if you die yeah, yeah. Looking for a they don't yeah like right after as well you would be an email <laughs> and then that'd be it yeah in the yeah, corporate world everyone's replaceable yeah that's yeah. why i can't imagine working corporate it's like um you know like yeah it might be more financially stable i guess maybe like not even secure because like you could again like you could get fired at any time but uh, you know, you don't have the passion there. I, I would say, like, knife making is on the opposite end of the, end of the spectrum. Like, you might not have that that stability, but you definitely have the passion for it. Um, you know, like thinking you're <clears throat> you're using your time well. Um, yeah. Which I guess kind of brings us to our to our last question, which is, if you could be doing anything else, what would it be? Um, it'd probably be that end goal of of just self-sufficiency yeah just being a um, run, running a self-sufficient property yeah. growing things farming that's cool. building stuff that's really cool i think it's always uh like going back to your roots especially i think um like yeah i sort of like um aside from aside from medicine 
Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the ways of living back in the sort of 17th century were were pretty cool. Um, oh, yeah. Where pe- people lived more deliberately, like um, to, to, to quote one of my favorite authors, Henry David Thoreau, he said, it, it is something to be able to paint a particular picture or carve a statue and so to make a few objects beautiful, but it is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which morally we can do to affect the quality of the day. That is the highest of arts. Yeah. And I, I really believe that to be able to have that sort of deliberacy to, to what you do, to know where your food comes from, to need something and make it, to, to be able to carry on like that and, and not not really concern yourself with the greater world and just focus more on finding your own peace yeah uh i think yeah self-sufficiency is definitely the end goal for a lot of people like whether that's financially like or or you know with stuff that you you love like it's yeah. just finally just realizing that's enough you know well well i did a i did a complete tree change um about five years ago i i sold my house i quit my job i um left all my friends all my family and just literally started over just pulled a mulligan and started over down in tasmania um because i just realized my life was not on the track that i wanted it to be and it was a a huge personal sacrifice to do it yeah but um if you if you have that awakening and realize that you're just you're not going anywhere that you're happy with sometimes you've got to take drastic measures yeah yeah gotta make a lifestyle change to have changing life this yeah. is going to be a weird yeah. question. How much land do you have down there, like do, that you own? Um, I am, I am currently renting where I am, um, but it's on nine hundred and sixty acres. What the hell? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Holy <laughs> shit! Okay, Australia. Is for big, for yeah, reference, it's... I live in a uh, not like a semi-rural community. I have about an acre of land. That's <laughs> fucking yeah. crazy. I actually have some. Um, some of my wife's family just moved up to uh, Tennessee. I'm not sure what town, not really much of a town. It's up in the mountains. And they bought about 180 acres of land, and they're trying the self-sufficiency thing as well. And uh, they're struggling with it right now, but I'm, I'm hoping it works out for them because that sounds amazing. Honestly, just not having to deal with other people or, or minimizing that as much as possible and being kind of self-reliant. Every so often on um, my social media, I'll post a photo of my the view from my yard, um, and people think that I'm like I'm on a hike or something. <laughs> but it's like no, that's just over my back fence. <laughs> that's just what it looks like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, alrighty, I think we should start wrapping up. We have one email for. Um, we have one email. Um, who would like to read it out? Jake, you want to do the honors? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Alex, if you want to stick around, you totally can. If not, that's fine too. Yeah, if not, yeah, yeah it's sure. all good. Uh, um, have your thoughts uh, before we well. jump into this, um, Alex, uh, can you uh, shout out like your social media and your website oh, yes, and stuff? Please. Yeah, I'm on um, uh, Valhalla Ironworks on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I've got a Patreon where I give business advice and, and workshop tips. Um, I'm on TikTok, also Valhalla Ironworks. You can find that uh, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, yeah, go get those feet pics. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. And uh, for anyone listening, we'll leave a link to all of his socials and stuff and his Patreon down in the yep. description. So please check that out. 
All right. Um, yeah, if you if you go to my Instagram, there's a link in my bio that basically has everything else. So if you can find me on Instagram, you can find me everywhere oh, else. Oh, perfect. So we'll just go ahead and link that then. Um, before we jump into this, uh, I just want to say thank you, Alex, for hopping on. I've learned a lot, and I'm very jealous of you. Um, <laughs> your big house. <laughs> Just his isolation, honestly. Oh, the house is tiny. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just the land. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was, it was awesome right. having you on. Thanks for inviting um, me on. Let me know when you want to replace Kai. The offer's always open. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need two Australians when I head back. Like, I'm heading back in a month. <laughs> All right. On to this email real quick. Uh, good morning, guys. Now that Blade Show's over, what do you think, what do you think the gotta haves in each category are? <laughs> production mid-tech and a new category of what i'm going to call production massaged i.e snotty's accelerator line uh lineup sorry this is not well written um no offense whoever wrote this but with a hands-on approach to scale sharpening anodizing parts i did send an email last month or so but then i realized it probably never got to you guys in time asked about storage i know not super interesting or anything i'm not sure that would have been mercon's job and he fucked up i'm sorry about that also, did That's anyone cool. shock the shit out of you for good or bad in all the customs? I didn't go to Blade Show, and I don't think either of you guys did either. <laughs> I did not leave the country. No. Kai, what the fuck? Was... All the money we pay you, and you can't afford to fly out here? No, no. I have no excuse <laughs> Five dollars a month. <laughs> um, apart from, like, being busy with life and shit. Uh, I don't know anything about the Accelerator lineup. Um, I don't know really much of what was announced at Blade Show. Do you guys? Did you guys go over that last episode? Uh, I sent a photo of the accelerator in the bottom. Um, oh, the artisan. Did we go over Blade Show last episode? No, it wasn't. On. Uh, no, I feel this like this is our first episode from Blade Show. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, might be our second. I don't know. Who sure. freaking knows? <laughs> Blade knows Show was pretty underwhelming, except for that Walker was there, and he has three new. Two new designs with CRKT, but they're yep. made in Italy. Those are cool. I would say those were standouts for me. The Lespect. The um, CKS. Yeah, I was, was going to say you might have clarified. <laughs> um, customs. I don't know. The customs really didn't do nothing for me this year. All the French people did cool shit, like usual. Uh, you know who really stood out to me for customs that I saw? Uh, South African maker Stuart Anthony Smith Stuart um, Anthony? finally got his ass out of South Africa and went to oh, Blade go. Show and had a table. Yeah, he's, he's with sick. his buoys, custom buoys. Oh, delicious! Yeah, his stuff's way cool. I'm gonna have to look this up now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. clean. Yeah. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, he's, he's the buoy king. Yeah. Yeah. He's worth more than my car. I guarantee it. <laughs> Yeah, this look good. Um, but he he has been full time for over twenty years. Jesus, wow! That's how serious he is. Knife making is like porn. Nice guy. Like you too. get a good like five year run out of it, but that's astounding. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. incredible. <laughs> no, but his very, his works looks very neat as well. I can't imagine like I'm amazed he didn't win any awards. To be honest, he, I'm not sure if he ended in, but um, I'm a level yeah. with you. We we shit on a lot of stuff on this podcast. I will never. Never, ever, ever agree with all the Blade Show awards. They are fucking garbage. Most of these, I feel like Fox <laughs> Knives wins production every year, and none of these knives, like you see knives from Blade Show that are just meticulously crafted, beautiful, yep. functional, amazing pieces, and they never win anything. I have I have some uh, controversial opinions about knife oh, awards. Oh, let's hear it. 
<laughs> yeah, let's hear it before you before you head off. Well, they're always the awards are always run by yes. guilds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And anybody that doesn't play by the guild rules usually just gets yep. left out. Um, it's it's sort of like if you were, but they, they expect anybody that's not guild to act guild. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're shit on. You gotta. It's kind of like you, you know if you cool if you were. Yeah, it's a cool kids club. Yeah, it's, but imagine if you were like walking past a stadium where they were playing baseball. Yeah, you weren't. You weren't in there. You weren't in there watching the game. You definitely weren't playing the game. You're just walking past on the way to get some chips from the, the shop or something. Yeah. And then the referee runs out and like <laughs> says, "You're out of bounds. You're out of bounds." And it's like, well, I'm not playing. I'm not in the stadium. It's like, bugger off. So if you're not if you're not one of the cool kids, if you choose to be non-guild, then you don't really have much of a uh, much of a say. Although th- there are exceptions to that, it, it tends to be the uh, the the rule. Though if you whether you're you've, you've got to be either in the guilds or play by the guild rules yeah. and follow. Have you ever noticed there's a real look to guild knives? Oh yeah, like uh, like a there's a real common boring style. specific kind of Damascus. Very like, boring. Uh, has to be like very yeah. very clean, very shiny. Um, that kind of thing and it's good I mean yeah. guilds do a, a, a lot of good for the knife making community yeah, like yeah. more good than bad yeah. easily but when it comes to the competitions they're usually run by guilds and, and whether it's conscious or not it might not be conscious It might there might be no malice to it or whatever yeah. um, but they, they tend to favour guild style and unfortunately there's a lot of incredible makers that do just bonkers good work and real creative stuff and they just get overlooked because it's not guild yeah, it I, just doesn't fit within the... I take it at about the same value as, like, the Grammys or any movie awards. or it just It's completely <laughs> oh, yeah. irrelevant, and I don't yeah. think we need them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I think that people, you know, if you put in the work and you've busted your ass, like, if awards make you feel better and, and you've put in the work to deserve it, that's awesome. But... I imagine most most custom makers are like myself. They they don't do it for anybody else. They do it for themselves. Yep. You challenge and yourself. You don't need it. You don't need awards. You don't need recognition. You just need to know that your next knife is going to be better than your last knife. Yeah. yeah that you're it. improving. It's a per- personal journey. Yeah. And a lot of those guys that like, have you seen Kaz knives? Yeah, his knives are insane. Oh, those brothers, man. Yeah, they they do crazy. they do good work, and they're just in their own little world doing their thing, and they just put out the most exceptionally amazing clean stuff that just boggles the mind and they're just doing it for them yeah that's usually when you get the Sick, when you get yeah. the best stuff is when you quit pandering exactly like just do what you want to do because yeah, in my experience yeah. I always you're, tell- if you're like you mentioned passion earlier if you are more passionate about something you're going to put in more work you're going to put in more time and it's going to come out better than whatever the hell it is someone requested you to do yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't do commissions. Yeah, yeah, I'm a firm believer of a maker is artist, and they need to have their own vision. And obviously, the only time yeah. I think um, critiquing is warranted if you buy one of their knives and it's inherently dangerous or objectively bad, like it doesn't cut. Oh yeah, it's terrible in your hand. Things like that. Fit for purposes, it should be the number one thing. Yeah, but 
Yep, I think anyone that just does what they want, obviously you're not going to be good at it when you start, but you're going to find your own rhythm, you're going to find your own voice in it, and you're going to do what you want to do, and that's how you stand out, by doing your own oh, man. vision. And like as a maker, I'm so grateful to everybody in my past that has bought a knife from me because like, I look back at stuff that I used to make like two years ago, and I think, how did anybody ever buy that? I'm so embarrassed. I want to gather up everything <laughs> that I've ever sold and remake it for those Some people. Some people really like having um, early works, um, like... Especially they if they if they buy something really early on, and then they get you know more updated knife down the line. Having those like A B like I I've done that with a couple of knives and it's it's always fun to me. But I had a collector um, that did that. Um, it's probably the biggest collector that's ever bought from me. Uh, have you guys heard of the forty eight hour dagger challenge? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, happens every year. And um, for the 48 hour last year, I made a dagger that when you unlatch the pommel, opens up into a functional pair of scissors. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that. That was crazy. Yeah, so and um, the it was inspired by my two, two of my favorite makers in the world. One is Niels Vandenberg, who specializes in daggers, and one is Grace Horn, who specializes Ooh, in yeah. scissors. Grace Horn uh, as well. a, an art form that is very deep that you don't usually hear about in the knife making community. Yep. And um, I wanted to sort of fuse those two influences together and make a project. But when you make something like that in just 48 hours, it's going to be a yeah. bit rough. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. But this collector contacted me and said, I have a Niels Vandenberg dagger and I have a set of Gracehorn scissors. And I'd love that build that you've just done to be in the collection between them. And... I'm like, you have to understand. I, I recorded a video explaining <laughs> just how were. dodgy this thing yeah, had to yeah. be in order to be finished in 48 hours. And she's like, I don't care. I want it. And I'm like, all right, cool. But then after getting it, she said, look, for 48 hours, this is pretty damn good. Um, I'd like to get something that you've dedicated proper time to. And I had a knife that I'd spent three weeks on of like 10-hour days. Jesus. And um, she bought it based off of that. Awesome. And she said it's really nice having that comparison of something that you rushed versus something that you actually put yourself through. So it actually went to Blade Show and got photoed by um, Jim Sharp. That's oh, nice. awesome, man. That's so cool. Yeah, it's always interesting to me to see what people can do under pressure too. So that like a, a really quick build like that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, this this year I'm doing a full katana, full size katana nice. in 48 hours. I can't wait for you to to send it up here to me. For free for letting you on our podcast. No, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, please everybody uh, check out Alex. I'll put his his link tree down yeah. in the description. Lovely guy. Go look at his. Well. Even if you even if you're not going to buy anything, go look at his stuff. It's fucking crazy. He, he has some some really cool practical. Yeah, follow is always appreciated. Like, some of this shit's just insane. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you so much for being on. Um, yeah, thank you. Wonderful having you. Thanks for having me on and putting up with me. No, it's great. Um, really enjoyed your your company and also like your insight as a maker. Uh, it's always nice to hear from from more makers, especially like uh, I think you have a very specific niche um, of like um, oh yeah yeah of, like you're kind of you're kind of making. Um, I think that's really cool. Uh, probably the first time you've had like one of the more non traditional. Sorry, one of the more yeah non traditional makers like on the podcast, and I think uh, it's been a been a good episode. We hope our listeners enjoy listening. Uh, please feel free to email us at behindtheagepod at gmail dot com. Yep. Uh, and uh, our Patreon's always open. Uh, you guys can join our Discord if you guys want to talk. Uh, we will be 
hopefully releasing new content after I move. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but till then, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.